reach for your Bibles with me as we transition into our scripture reading time in preparation for today's sermon. And turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And if you're in need of a Bible, there should be a few Bible located in front of you. You can find today's scripture reading on page 1202 as we wrap up the book of James. I wonder how long it's been. We appreciate your faithfulness. James chapter 5, starting in verse 19, reading two verses. Follow along as I read. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, we come, Lord. Father, and we praise you and we thank you most of all for your faithfulness, Lord. Your faithfulness that remains the same throughout generation and generation. Father, and I thank you for our leadership and their faithfulness in this church, Lord, and the preaching and the teaching of your word, Father. Lord, may we humble ourselves this morning to your teaching. Lord, speak to us. Clear minds, clear thoughts that we would just hear from you, Lord. Father, we ask. And all of this in your name. Amen. Well, I do not know if the Chiefs will win tonight, but I do know we are concluding this series in James this morning. In fact, this is Lesson 24, if you're looking at your notes. And uh, I trust and pray that this series through James has been an encouragement to you, a challenge to you, convicting. And as we come to the end of this passage, it is powerful. Every parent is familiar with a child wandering off from their presence. In fact, it can happen anywhere. It can happen while you're shopping in the grocery store. It can happen while you're waiting in line at the amusement park. It can happen while you are hiking in the woods. It can even happen while you're snow skiing in the mountains such as my family, when we were skiing at Steamboat Springs, when Jack was about six years old and wandered out of our sight and down the mountain. And of course, if you're a parent who's had a child wander off, you know that when that happens, panic sets in and you frantically start searching for your child. At least that's what my wife and I did. We even incorporated Tyler Help find your brother as well. And we searched all over that section of the mountain, screaming out his name, trying to find our youngest child, Jack. I won't hold you in suspense. After about 30 minutes, what seemed like about 30 hours, we found him at the bottom of the mountain, waiting at the lift. Totally oblivious to the heart attack he had just given me. Parents are very aware of the tendency that children have to wander off. In fact, this can happen to children with the most observant of parents. And James here wants us to be aware that this can even happen to believers in the church. Now, we need to understand the context in which James writes these last two verses. It's in the context of chapter 5. In chapter 5 here, James has been referencing, in fact, it's kind of the framework in which he 
tells us certain commands here. It's all about the coming of Jesus Christ. And we have already seen that James tells us to be patient till Jesus comes. We also saw he tells us to be prayerful till Jesus comes. And now here, these last two verses, James tells us to be watchful till Jesus comes. And the reason is this. It's the main idea of these two verses. Notice it in your notes. If anyone among us in the church wanders from the truth, we are to embark on a spiritual search and rescue mission. We've come to the conclusion, as I've already alluded to in this letter, and the conclusion, as Dane read it for us, it seems rather abrupt. That is, unlike Paul's letters, when you read the New Testament of Paul's letters, he almost always has some type of goodbye and farewell, and there's nothing like that here in James' letter. There's no goodbye, there's no farewell, there's not even a benediction, there's no doxology, there's nothing to the sort. It just ends with this warning about this very real possibility of anyone in the church wandering from the truth. And yet, I want you to see at the same time that this conclusion actually reflects the heart of James for the believers that he's writing to. He concludes with this pastoral love for these believers, as well as this call for action in regard to those who wander from the truth. In fact, for the 15th time in this letter, James addresses these believers as my brothers or or my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because he dearly loves the believers that he's writing to. And so he lovingly warns us. He lovingly alerts us to, to this possibility that anyone can wander from the truth as well as this responsibility of the church to pursue them and to rescue them when this happens. So this is a search and rescue passage of Scripture. Two short verses, and yet very powerful verses for us here this morning. So look at it with me, the danger that James describes for us. Number one, the danger that is described is this. Anyone can wander from gospel truth. James writes, look at it with me again in your Bibles, verse 19. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. And so this is a warning to every Christian here this morning. Every Christian. James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. And so James is referring to anyone here who identifies with Jesus Christ as well as his church. That is, they they have made a profession of faith in Christ and they are now part of the church of Christ, but now they are wandering from the truth of the gospel as well as the moral implications of that gospel. And James wants us to, to be aware of this possibility among any one of us here. Why? Because wandering from the gospel truth is a real danger for every Christian. Any one of us here is vulnerable to wandering from the truth. No one here this morning is immune to wandering away from the truth. And if you think even now that you are immune, you are in a very dangerous place. 
take heed lest you fall. After all, we are, we are all prone to wander. James has already alluded to this fact back in chapter 1, verse 16, where it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And so James is, is warning us of this potential that all of us have to wander away from the truth. And in doing so, he shows us the seriousness of this wandering. Notice it in your notes here. To wander from the truth is to wander from life towards death. To wander from the truth, therefore, it is no small matter. The stakes are very high here. It is a matter of life and death. Verse 20, James says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from what? From death. The trouble is that wandering doesn't feel like death at the time. In fact, it often feels more like being adventurous, exploring, getting off the beaten path until it's too late and we look back and see how folly or foolish it was. This is true spiritually too. Listen, being double-minded, wavering back and forth doesn't feel dangerous at the moment. It feels like getting the best of both worlds, and it seems even less dangerous when, when the culture around us is affirming the pursuit of our own happiness no matter what we choose to do. But James, is he's very clear here in this conclusion. He's very clear in telling us that to wander from the truth is to wander towards death. Do you know why sin oftentimes doesn't scare us? Do you know why we, we wander away? It's because we tell ourselves that, that this wandering is something less than life and death. We tell ourselves it's not that big a deal. We tell ourselves, oh, we can handle it. We tell ourselves it's just this one time. We tell ourselves it won't hurt us or the people around us. And all of those lies minimize what James is saying here in this conclusion. That wandering from the truth, the gospel truth, is a matter of life and death. So take heed. Listen up. When you wander from the truth, you, you are wandering towards something that is dangerous. It is destructive. It will lead to your death. Paul tells us about a man named Hymenaeus who, who swerved from the truth in 2 Timothy, and as a result, he suffered a shipwreck of his faith and life. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Paul Tripp says, listen to what he says, this is good, the scariest thing a person is able to do is, is look at death and see life. And if he can do that, the enemy has me. Even in the Garden of Eden, the most evil thing that the serpent did was that he pointed to death and he named it as life. And once Adam and Eve were able to look at death and see it as life, they were then able to turn their backs on God Almighty. And so the stakes are high here. Let us 
heed this warning from James to wander from the truth is to wander away from life and to wander towards death. Our lives, listen to me, they are moving in a direction, moving in obedience, in submission to Jesus Christ, or our lives are moving in the direction of death where we are beginning to step away from the very life that is found in the truth of Jesus Christ. And hear this, rarely do we wander away in, in one big dramatic moment. It doesn't start dramatically. It almost always starts gradually with seductive lies and subtle little wanderings. Now, when it comes to wanderings, here's what we need to watch for in our own lives, but also in the lives of one another. Notice it. We are to watch for wandering in beliefs and in behavior. Sometimes wandering from the truth starts with our beliefs, and then it moves into our behavior. But sometimes it starts with our behavior, and then moves into our beliefs. In Titus chapter 1, verse 1, Paul speaks of Knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And so in Paul's mind, truth and godliness belong together. In other words, belief and behavior belong together. James 2.20, we already saw this, says faith without works is what? It is dead. So in James' mind, you cannot separate faith from our works. Why? Because one always impacts the other. This is why we must watch for spiritual wandering in our own lives as well as the lives of one another in both our beliefs and our behavior. Paul Tripp, if I can quote him again, writes, you never ever just wander away theologically because the thoughts of the heart will always precede and determine your activity. Your wandering always somehow becomes a wandering of your life. Brett Rogers writes, and I quote, wandering from the truth has just as much to do with our, our outward actions as it does our inward convictions, just as much to do with our behavior as it does our beliefs. Gospel truth compels the true Christian to live in ways that show the worth and value of Jesus. And when we don't live that way, when we just walk away like the world is in sin, or when we walk just like the world in sin, we prove by our actions that something else besides the gospel is now compelling us. Now, I realize, and I'm sure, oh, am I sure, that for many of us here today, you cannot help but read these two verses without being reminded of someone that you know, someone you love very dearly, who has wandered from the truth. Perhaps it's a family member. Perhaps it's a friend. Whatever the case, at one time, they, they shared our belief in the gospel of Christ. They, they shared our love for the church of Christ. They, they even shared our passion for the mission of Christ. And perhaps... Even in this church, you sat together with them, you sang together, you prayed together, you served together, and along the way, you even laughed together and cried together, and then the unthinkable happened. They wandered away from this glorious truth in the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And James now is provoking in us a a burden for anyone among us who wanders from the truth. And James is encouraging us that when this happens, listen to me, there is hope for that person. Because here's what I know. It is all too easy to lose our hope and to think that that person will never return from their wandering. But James wants us to know that there is always, always, always hope with God. And these verses here are a testimony to that fact. God has not forgotten them. God actually has a plan to rescue them, and that plan involves us. You see, after describing the danger of wandering from the truth, James now tells us the rescue that's required. Notice it. It is to bring the wandering sinner back to gospel truth. That's the rescue that's required. In very simple terms, James spells out this rescue required in verse 19. Look at it again with me. He says, my brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. And so right after this warning comes this call to action to bring back the wandering sinner. Proverbs 24.11 says, rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling toward slaughter. And so this is a rescue mission and the stakes are high. Remember, it is a matter of life and death. And so notice this, notice our responsibility of rescuing the wandering sinner. First of all, look at it. It is anyone in the church who may wander from the truth and it is someone in the church who brings the wandering wanderer back. So notice with me who James calls to this rescue mission. It's interesting, it's not the elders or pastors. But someone in the church. That is anyone who becomes aware of their wandering. Last Sunday in the previous passage, we saw that when someone is sick, they are to call the elders or pastors for prayer. But here in this case, when anyone wanders from the truth, it is everyone's responsibility to rescue them. It's our responsibility not only to to pray for one another, but to also pursue one another if one of us should wander from the truth. And so, If you belong to Jesus Christ here this morning, if you belong to his church, then you are called to God's search and rescue mission. And know this. This rescue mission will not be easy. In fact, it will feel incredibly awkward. The reason is because we live in a culture that says confronting someone over their sin, over their choices in life, well, that's, that's unloving to do that. In fact, that's self-righteous on your part to do that. 
And so we are pressured by our culture to just, quote, mind our own business. But James says the culture of the church should be different. Listen, folks, we are to be shaped by the truth of the gospel. We are to be compelled by the hope of the gospel to pursue wanders at all costs. And so if the wandering sinner is a brother and sister of Christ and you know about it, you are aware that they are wandering from the truth and it is your responsibility to rescue them. And yes, 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 it needs to be done with much gentleness. We know that. Paul tells us that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him, listen, in a spirit of gentleness, Paul says. And then he adds this, keep a watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So this rescue mission, by all means, it needs to be done carefully. It needs to be done prayerfully, it needs to be done lovingly and in humility, but it needs to be done and it can be done in God's power. And yes, it may risk the friendship even if done with love. And yes, it may cause offense even if done with care, but it is worth doing. Why? Because it is a matter of life and death. And so now we must be courageous to pursue those who want and yes, we must, we must go in much grace. We must go in the grace of Jesus Christ because it is this grace that will actually determine our attitude toward the wandering sinner. If we approach a wanderer with an attitude of, of moral superiority, listen, they will discern that attitude in us. And it will only put another barrier in front of them to overcome to bring them back to the truth. And going in grace, listen, that should not be difficult for any of us here this morning. Why? Since we are all prone to wander, since we're all familiar with temptation to sin. In fact, it is God's grace, do you realize this? It is the only reason, because of God's grace, that that we ourselves have not wandered from the truth. So let us not be moral superiority and judgmental, but let us go in grace and, yes, with truth. Which brings us to the second part. Someone seeks to rescue the wandering sinner by turning him back or her back to the truth. This is important. Don't overlook this. Look what James says again in verse 19. If anyone among you wanders from what? Wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. The implication is you're bringing him back to the truth. In fact, this phrase, brings him back, it is also translated as turns him back. And since they have wandered from the truth, the rescue mission is to turn them back to the truth. Why? Because it is the truth in the words of Jesus Christ that sets them free. What truth specifically? Here in the book of James, it is the truth of the gospel, which includes both good news and bad news. And so we are turning them back to the truth with the truth, gospel truth. That includes good news and bad news. The good news that, hey, 
of God's forgiveness of their sins, as well as the bad news of the consequences if they do not repent of their sins and turn back to the Lord. And so hear me, please hear me on this. We mislead the wanderer. In fact, we even deceive the wanderer if all they see and all they hear is our love and never the truth. Listen, for there to be a successful rescue, the truth must be given. And specifically, the truth here in verse 20, that death awaits them, spiritual death awaits them if they prove themselves to be an unbeliever by not turning back to the Lord. So the goal here is to turn the wandering sinner back to the truth, and you do so with the truth. In fact, this turning... It is the essence, it is the heart of what repentance is. That is why there is no rescue without repentance of sin by the wandering sinner. For it is only through a a broken-hearted repentance that we acknowledge our wandering from the truth and we turn back to the truth where life is found. So James is urging us to take action on behalf of those who wander from the truth, and now he gives us this incentive to do so, the incentive to pursue the wanderer, and it is found in the blessing when the wandering sinner turns back to the truth. Look at this, number three. The blessing that is promised here. The wandering sinner is restored by gospel truth. Look what James writes in verse 20. It's the very last verse of the whole book of James. And he concludes with this. Let him know. What's interesting in these two verses, that is actually the only command. In other words, we are to know something. Let him know, referring to the rescuer. We are to know this. That whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What, this is what you see happening and playing out in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. When the wandering son came to his senses, and he did so with a turning in his own heart, in the pig pen, turning to the truth of his father, what his father represented, what his father could offer him. He did what? He returned. He went back to his father's house where he found what? He found forgiveness of sins, and he found life once again. So what more motivation do we need to pursue the wanderer and rescue them from their sin? Listen, the situation cannot be more serious for them, and the rescue cannot be more glorious for the wanderer. So here's the blessing from James as promised to us. Their soul is saved from death, and their sins are covered by God. And we say amen and hallelujah to that. Listen, when a wanderer is brought back, James is telling us here that a soul is saved from death. A soul is saved from eternal judgment and a multitude of sins is covered by the grace of God. In fact, this this phrase 
covering sins that James uses. It signifies forgiveness of sins. And in the phrase multitude of sins here, it indicates the extent of God's forgiveness. And so what a glorious reminder here at the end of this awesome book of James that there is no pit so deep that the grace and love of God is not deeper still in the words of Corey Ten Boom. This covering of sins, it flows from the fact that turning a sinner back to the truth saves his soul from death. And death here, when James uses this word, as he has commonly used in the book of James, as it's almost always used in the New Testament, where sin is the primary issue, death then is a spiritual death. It's, it's condemnation to eternal death that results from an unrepentant heart and unforgiven sins. Douglas Moo, a commentator on the book of James, adds, he says, James pictures death as the final destination on the path that the sinner had determined to take. But when he is turned back from that journey, he has saved his life. So hear this. Living in unrepentant sin, waywardness from the truth, always brings death. Always. James has already showed us this. He told us this back in chapter 1, verse 5, of how wayward desires lead to sin, and then sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Paul tells us the same thing in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is what? Death. Separation from God's presence for all eternity. But the hope, listen to me, the hope that, that we here act on is that whenever someone restores the wandering sinner back to gospel truth, listen, their soul is saved from death and their sins are covered by God. But if, if, if that person continues down the wrong path without any repentance of sin, he or she proves themselves to be an unbeliever and will suffer spiritual death. This is why James exhorts us here. It's why he calls us to action. It's why he also has exhorted us in this same chapter to persevere till Jesus comes, to persevere in gospel truth till Jesus comes. Why? Because James knows that anyone who does not persevere to the end will not be saved. You see, James knows what his half-brother Jesus had already said. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, as Jesus said. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, verses 22 and 23, Christ 
has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is Christ, God. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard. So please hear this. The Bible never, never gives assurance of salvation to a person who is proving by their unrepentant lifestyle that Jesus is not the object of their faith. And neither should we. Now to be clear, so there's no misunderstanding here. Everyone who truly belongs to Jesus Christ through saving faith will persevere to the end and will be saved by God's judgment. We are assured of this in Romans 8, verse 30, where Paul says, Those God called, He also justified, and those He justified, He also glorified. That has yet to happen, but Paul writes it in the past tense because he's that sure that it will happen. And we are also confident of what Paul writes in Philippians 1.6. He, that is God, who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion for the day of Jesus Christ. So, for us here this morning who are believers in Jesus Christ, listen, our eternal security is always a certainty. Listen, when you trust in Christ as your Savior and your Lord to cover your sins and to make you right before a holy God, you are adopted into His family and you are His child forever. But the question remains, and this is the question that James is answering for us, how does God keep us in His eternal family? How, how, how does God preserve our salvation to the end when Jesus comes? That is, how does God guard us from wandering away from gospel truth? And the answer that James gives is eternal security is accomplished through us, the church, looking out for each other in loving each other enough to keep each other accountable to the truth. This is why James can say here in verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And right now you might be thinking, I can't do that. I cannot do this. Only God can save a soul from death. Only God can cover a multitude of sins. And that is true. We can't do this. So what does James mean here when he writes this? He seems to be describing us, us as believers in Christ. He's describing us doing something that only God can do. And what James is doing in writing this way, he is writing in such a way as to inspire the church to fulfill its unique role in God's plan to rescue the one who has wandered from the truth. So here's the point. 
God uses his church to rescue wandering sinners. God uses us to rescue wandering sinners. And of course, James would agree that only God can do this. Only God can save their soul from death and cover their sins. But God uses us as the means to accomplish this mission of rescuing wandering sinners. And so James here writes of someone doing what only God can do in order to to motivate us, in order to place a burden on us and inspire us to embark on this rescue mission, knowing that God works through us to restore the wandering sinner. Listen to what Alec Motier writes. Commentator on the book of James, he says, We cannot but be struck by the fact that James speaks of the concerned believer as bringing back, saving, and covering the sins of the one in error. Surely these are things which only God can do. Only God can forgive sins, save us from them, and give us the gift of repentance by which we return from our spiritual far country. How can we do these things? And he writes, the answer is that we cannot, but we must act as if we could. Though we cannot convert them, we must labor to do so. Though we cannot save them from death, we must strive for their spiritual welfare as if their eternal destiny rested with us. So James, as he concludes this book, he does not want us to leave this book thinking to ourselves that only God can do this and I have no role in this. Oh, no, no. James comes to the conclusion of this book and he he wants us to know, he wants us to feel the burden of this, that only God can do this and I, I, you, have a role in this. We are the means that God uses in this divine rescue mission, and we must act on this because their situation could not be more serious and their rescue could not be more glorious. Kent Hughes, a pastor and author, he writes, to be part of saving one from spiritual death is indeed the greatest thing one human being can ever do for another. Oh, glory. At the beginning of verse 20, right in the middle of these two verses, I already pointed it out, James writes, he says, let him know. Let him know. That phrase can also be translated. In fact, some of your Bible versions may have it this tra- translated this way. Remember this. So let him know it's the same as remember this. And so as we think about this possibility of wandering from the truth, here is what I want you to remember. Remember this. There is always, always a way back. Because at the cross, there is always hope for the wanderer. Do you believe that? There is always hope for us all in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so all of this has life and death implications for three groups of people 
that are represented in every church. Notice these three groups of people. I would challenge you as we go through this to do an evaluation of which group you are in. The first group represented in the church, every church, including this church, are wanderers. Wanderers. Those who have wandered from the truth. And if that is you, then by grace you have wandered here this morning. And it is by grace. And we would love to see you return. We would love to see you be restored. You say, how? By repenting of your sin and receiving God's forgiveness. Listen, a a, a wandering heart is an unsatisfied heart. Sin does not deliver as advertised. Sin will lead you down a road of destruction and ultimately end in death. But God, listen to me, He is inviting you back. And with God, there is always a way back. And if you come back, you will be saved from death. You're and forgiven of all your sins. And so I plead with you here this morning, if that is you, to return and be restored in the life-giving truth of Jesus Christ. There's a second group represented here. Non-Christians. Unbelievers. Those who have never responded to the gospel. And if this describes you, And this morning, I plead with you to hear what James says. Because James, in this passage, also reveals something to you. He reveals the the horrifying reality of God's judgment against our sin. And if you should die with your sins still uncovered, the penalty is eternal judgment in hell. But in mercy, in great mercy, God is revealing this to you because you are here this morning to hear it. God is revealing the horrifying reality of dying with none of your sins covered, none of your sins forgiven. But the good news is, the glorious good news that God has sent His Son to rescue you to rescue all of us from the penalty of our sins, to pay for our sins with His death on the cross, and to cover our sins with His blood so that we can have eternal life. But we must respond. You must respond by repenting of your sin and by faith receiving Jesus as your rescuer, your Lord and Savior. And then the third group, which I know most of us here this morning fall into this group. And I use the word fall in a way that is very gracious because God has intervened in our lives in such a manner that we have responded to his calling of salvation. That is, you are a Christian and you have been rescued by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
But this passage is, is so much more than just a warning about wandering and an exhortation to rescue the wandering. Listen, this passage here, as he ends this book, it is also a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us when he died in our place as our substitute for our sins. Do you realize God has saved us from the eternal judgment that, that we deserve? How? By covering our sins through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And so now, when we trust in Christ for salvation, listen to me, it's not just a few sins, it's not just a select sins that are covered. James says it is a multitude of sins that are covered and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow! And Christ's death, get this, Christ's death is sufficient once and for all to cover the multitude of our sins here this morning. And so let us now remember God's grace, His glorious, unconditional, amazing grace in Jesus Christ, and let us do so by participating in communion. Listen, when you come and you grab that juice and that bread, remember We didn't deserve to be found when we went astray. But the Father, God the Father, He overcame every obstacle to save us. The prophet Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. And so all of us, we all here, we know what it's like to go astray. And all of us here this morning who belong to Jesus Christ by faith know what it's like to be found. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's humbling as well. To realize this. And so be humbled by it. And yet be motivated by all of this. That God now calls us to his search and rescue mission. Just as Jesus searched and rescued us here this morning. With your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, thank you for your loving kindness to pursue and rescue wandering sinners like us. Thank you for Jesus Christ who who died on the cross so that the multitude of our sins can be covered. And now help us to see the seriousness of wandering from gospel truth and to know that there is always a way back because at the cross there is always hope. And as we participate in communion now, Lord, may we do so with grateful hearts humble hearts who have been rescued by you through the sacrifice of your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Followers of Jesus Christ, that is, believers in Jesus Christ, those who have trusted Christ for salvation, those who identify with Christ in baptism and commit to Christ's body in a membership of a, of a local church. You, you are invited to participate in communion located at the four tables. So as you stand and you grab the juice and the cup, and it's in one one on top of the other, 
I want us to do something different. I want you to take it back to your seat and then wait instead of eating it and drinking it right away because we want to do this together this morning. And so as the music begins to play, you are invited to stand and do just that. As a reminder, once you grab the juice and the bread and take it back to your seat, I would ask that you wait so that we may eat and drink together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may eat the bread. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my body. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You may drink the juice. And then Paul concludes with these words, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let us remember what Christ has done for us. And in doing this, He has also empowered us that we may persevere to the end. And with that same grace, we are also called to rescue those who wander away from the truth. There is always hope. And so let us be alert. If anyone among us wanders from the truth, we here are to embark on a spiritual search and rescue mission. And let us remember this, there is always a way back. Because at the cross, there is always hope for wandering sinners in the grace and in the gospel of Jesus Christ.